Hello. This episode contains descriptions of self-harm that some people might find distressing or triggering. If you don't feel like that's something you'd be comfortable with, then please do listen back to another episode of the Positive Mental Attitude podcast where we don't talk about those subjects. Hello and welcome to Positive Mental Attitude, a podcast about the positive aspects of mental health. I'm Juliette Burton. I'm a comedian, a speaker, a writer, a mental health fanatic, a physical health agnostic. Uh, Now, mental health conditions are nothing to be ashamed of, in my opinion. They aren't signs of failure and they're definitely not photos from school. Uh, I'm not ashamed of my mental health conditions and you, my dearest listener, definitely should not be. You have no reason to be at all. I do have very many mental health conditions and in no particular order, uh, because I love all of them equally, uh, they are anorexia, anxiety disorder, bipolar disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, bulimia, bipolar disorder, Uh, it's worth saying twice because there's two parts, my darlings, Uh, compulsive overeating disorder, depression, psychotic hallucinations and even OCD. And uh, as you may be able to guess, Yes, I'm rarely bored with all of that going on. There's quite a lot to occupy me. Now, mental illness can be challenging, like uh, climbing a rope ladder or buying a Christmas present for my father. So let's help each other by being positive. And in this podcast, we are focusing on the solutions and the positive aspects of mental illness. So you're very welcome. Now, the Positive Mental Attitude podcast is only possible thanks to our wonderful sponsors, Stagecoach Group. The next time that you're riding on a Stagecoach bus and you're feeling positive about your mental health conditions, you'll be pleased to know this is a sensation the Stagecoach management is fully in support of. So thank you very much, Stagecoach. Now, joining me this week is freelance journalist and author Emily Reynolds. Hello. She is a highly regarded writer and mental health activist, so much so that the jealousy in my voice must surely be bleeding (laughs) through by now. So, Emily, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So, you uh, have been an author, uh, and what can you tell us a bit about your books? Yes. So, uh, my first book came out last year. It's called A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind, um, and it's kind of a kind of practical guide to navigating mental illness for young people. So. Um, when I first started writing it, I was kind of looking, I'd just been diagnosed with bipolar, I was about 23, and I'd been looking for, um, and this was kind of before mental illness was so much in the kind of the public imagination, so there were fewer books about it, and everything I found was kind of kind of textbooky, or there were quite a lot of misery memoirs, which I didn't actually think really reflected the reality of what it is like to live with mental illness. Um, so I kind of tried to write something that wasn't miserable, was kind of funny, and kind of blunt and honest about it um but also gave people kind of really practical tips so yeah that came out last year practical tips on on how to navigate it in a positive way rather than yeah so because you have a history of your own mental health conditions Mm -hmm. um what are your diagnoses um so i've got a diagnosis a dual diagnosis now of bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder um so i got diagnosed with bipolar when i was about 23 three as I said um and I only just got um the dual diagnosis of borderline personality disorder about six months ago so um That's very and yeah and I'm 27 so it's taken a really really long time to actually get the right diagnosis um so uh, I've I've very been very lucky that I've got lovely um, people at Rethink. They've been helping us uh, with this podcast um, and they have told me a little bit about your conditions, but I would like you to tell me in your words what mm-hmm. you think they are first. And then... um, so bipolar is a mood disorder, essentially, um, and um, you kind of get patches of a high, like the, the, the manic bit, which, is, um, which sounds fun and can be to begin with, but um, uh, kind of 
elevated mood, euphoria. For me, it's kind of characterised by lack of sleep. You're more likely to take risky decisions. Um, and that can kind of go up into psychosis, delusions, which I've had before as well. Um, when I was at university, kind of paranoid delusions. Um, and then periods of depression, which are obviously low mood, kind of fatigue, aches and pains, um, things like that, maybe feeling suicidal. Um, and also a, a particular problem for me is the mixed state, which is where you're kind of, you have the worst of both worlds where you're agitated and irritable and have lots of energy, like a manic episode, but you're also feeling quite distressed or despairing. Um, so yeah, that, that that's probably the main problem for me is the mixed states. So cause I, we, we, we're twins, uh, we're twinsies. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have bipolar um, and uh, for me, um, it was first diagnosed because of uh, the, the mood swings um, mm. and that euphoric high um, and then the, the the periods of low, like really low, very depressed. And um, that is, it's it's quite, I still find it quite difficult to, uh, to separate out that from depression or anxiety. I know they're related mm. disorders, but that remembering the cyclical nature of my bipolar disorder um, and also trying to explain to people that it's not like I'm in one or the other at any given time. Like, mm -hmm. I might be actually okay just in the middle. Yeah. And that actually there's a lot of, I quite like being in the manic mm, me stage. Me too. Um, yeah, what, especially when you're on your way up. You're like, oh, this is amazing. All my ideas are brilliant. I've got so much energy. This is amazing. And then you're just like, oh, it's we're keep it's keep it's keeping on going up. Yeah, like, <laughs> and now we're going to head towards burnout. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean I remember there was there was uh, one uh, day I wrote something about it about a year ago. Um, there was a day when it was that gorgeous euphoria of like oh everything all the colours are brighter. Um, I feel like I'm in tune with every living thing. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I understand life. I I feel like I'm you know it's that weird kind of knife edge between. I, you feel so much more in tune with something deeper and mm. grander and yet I know that this is a, a chemical imbalance yeah. in my physical self yeah. and it will at some point uh, invariably there will definitely be uh, the low coming. Yeah, a big crash. A big crash. Yeah, when you're in it though it's quite hard to and it's like when you're feeling depressed you, you can't see a way out of it you think I'm going to feel like this forever this is just this is it now. I can't see how I could possibly experience joy ever again. I guess the flip side of that is where you think, this is amazing, this is going to last forever. Maybe I'm not even mentally ill. Maybe I'm cured. This is great. That's <laughs> an interesting thing because I, I've, I don't know about you, but I, I still struggle with that that uh, that idea of this is going to last forever. Mm -hmm. This uh, And knowing that the phrase, this too shall pass, is something that I've uh, been uh, told in therapy many, many times. Yeah. Um and being able to remember that this too shall pass, the good and the bad, this too shall pass. There's always, mm. it's going to come back around. Yeah. Um, what have you found has helped you um, with specifically your bipolar? Because we'll come on to general uh, mental well-being later. Mm. But um, with your bipolar, what have you found has helped? Um, well, I think the, the main thing with that has been um, identifying what the triggers are and also um, kind of recognising the signs. So kind of understanding bipolar both as it relates to me specifically and also how it works generally as a disorder so I guess um you know I didn't get diagnosed for such a long time because I wasn't paying attention to the to the manic bits I just felt like this was my personality maybe or this it, it you know until I became psychotic essentially I didn't re really realize that those elevated moods and stuff were a problem um so that's why it took me such a long time because I first got ill when I was about 14 so it's like nearly 10 years before I got diagnosed with bipolar um 
So I think now I understand it a lot better. So if I suddenly start sleeping a lot less um, or if I'm suddenly making loads and loads and loads of plans, um, then I think, wait a second, this is probably me on my way up rather than, you know, a normal kind of thing to do. And with depression, I mean, if I'm sleeping a lot or if I'm cancelling plans, things like that, they're kind of the first signs. I'm finding it harder to get out of bed or you know, not wanting to do anything or stuff just like not texting my friends back as quickly. You know, I'm just starting to isolate myself more. Um, I think understanding those things and how they work for you specifically can be really, really helpful. Oh, completely. Yeah, I, I, I have those two things, um, the, the sleeping a lot or not being able to sleep at all. Like mm-hmm. That's one of the first things, one of the very practical things where I might not have noticed because me making plans, I'm, I'm very, I'm very like being busy and mm. uh, having lots to do. Um, but if I find that I'm lying in bed just going, I can't, I can't sleep or having really bad dreams, mm. um, those are things that I can, oh, oh, wait, I have that, I have that condition, don't mm. I? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, now, you mentioned psychosis there. Mm-hmm. So what would you, what's your experience of psychosis? Because that that's a word that it can encapsulate lots of different experiences. Yeah. Um, so I get very delusional, basically, and that was the first thing that I had was when I was at university, I was um, completely convinced when I went back after Christmas holidays that someone had broken into my room, and I was like, here's this, all of this evidence that someone's broken in and people are breaking in when I'm at, you know, I'm, leaving to go to lectures and stuff so then I ended up just not leaving my room at all um and I became very paranoid so I wasn't telling anybody about this and all the people I was friends with were kind of very new friends it was my first year of university so I could probably have said it to like my best friend who I've known since I was 12 and she would have maybe you know told me that's not what's happening but these were new friends so I was like I don't trust them I can't tell them this stuff a lot of them think I'm mad, which I was. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, then I sometimes get um, auditory hallucinations. So not voices or anything, but just um, I always get the same kind of, it's like a dial tone constantly, constantly, constantly. Um, yeah, so that that kind of thing. So I uh, I had a psychosis um, when I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act um, when I was 17. And uh, that was, it's interesting because with the psychosis with that, that was full-blown audible and visual hallucinations and mm. for about three three weeks i i didn't see the room that i was in i i was i saw i was elsewhere i was um conscious and awake but i wasn't conscious of the mm-hmm. place and situation and people that were there um and then for about three months after that it was two to three months there i was aware of where i was but then things like the radio i was tuning into certain things that the radio was saying mm-hmm. and thought it was about me or I, it would suddenly hit me when i was in the supermarket high state of, ang- of anxiety so when i was buying food related and that's obviously related to my eating disorders my anxiety increased and i suddenly started thinking everyone in the supermarket was talking about me yeah i've had similar things we yeah. sort of tune in almost like you you like almost there's a there's a heightened volume of mm. different people's conversations at different points yeah. and it's a very difficult thing to explain to people but i think this is where art and creativity can help convey what that experience might be like yeah absolutely um and also i think this this is the language is very clunky and as an author and a journalist as well um i wanted to ask you about language because i find language difficult uh when we talk about mental illness because it is 
it's about our perspective on the world and me my my vision of the world my my perspective uh, is incredibly different to yours even in this room right now mm. i can see the wall behind you uh and yet you can't does that mean the wall exists yeah <laughs> I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I, I mean, I hope so too. Otherwise, we might both be. I don't want to go too deep into this so that we have some kind of joint breakdown. Uh, but that, that's one something with things like audible and visual hallucinations <clears throat> that when I'm trying to explain to people, like um, if something if something is real to me, if I'm seeing it and you're not seeing it, then does that mean it isn't there mm. or it is? Yeah, I think people are quite um, quick to possibly because they're scared of or frightened by the idea of it I think people are quite quick to write off those experiences that people have because they can be quite profound and they obviously they profoundly affect you and they profoundly affect the way that you look at the world when you're completely stable mm. um, so I think people are quite quick to write them off and I don't think we really see enough about that generally in terms of in writing in the media anywhere I don't think we really see enough of those um, kind of experiences I think they're quite rich for well they're, they're funny sometimes they're absurd they're ridiculous I think um there's a lot to be said for kind of talking about them more and, you know, giving them more light, really. There was one day on um, on social media. I love social media. Do you like social media? I do, yeah. Brilliant. And what, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, it's at Ray underscore Z. We'll come back to that again. <laughs> and we follow each other. We're, we're well, we're yeah, we, tight. Yeah. We're tight on Twitter. <laughs> um, the, uh, in fact, that's when we, we arranged this interview yeah, via Twitter. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I did this thing on Twitter once when I was like, do you know what? I'm going to ask people, how would you describe in an abstract way your mental health conditions? Mm. So sometimes I find uh, using abstract language um, more helpful say if, than like saying, oh, I've, I've got, I'm struggling with my manic phase. Mm. It might be, well, my thoughts are very spiky today. Oh, I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I love it. And and then uh, foggy for the depression mm. or thick. Yeah, thick, yeah. Is there any words that you would oh, describe? Oh, God, that's good. I think spiky is a good one. Um, yeah. It's really kind of the elevated... And also you can be quite irritable as well when you're and your thoughts go all over the place. Um so I think like frizzy sometimes when I'm good word. when I'm um frizzy manic. Yeah, I like that. Because or, or fizzing as well, because you're mm. kind of you have so many ideas and And it know. can be a sparkle. Yeah, it can, yeah. But it can also be um frenetic and Yeah, in terms of personality I think there's definitely an element of kind of sparkle because you get quite or you get more outgoing and you know I think sometimes I'm a lot funnier when I'm when I'm manic. Um, I that's, think oh, I, that's my area, mate. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I think I'm quite, um, I think there's like quite a lot of humour in um, depression as well. Yeah. So I was talking about this with a friend the other day and I was like, I think that my tweets are funnier when I'm depressed. Yeah. Because I think there's like a bleak outlook on the world that translates quite well to kind of droll, kind of glib Twitter jokes. Um, I was like, I, I would be interested in seeing like a map of my mood, how it goes up and down and how many retweets my funny tweets have got. Just yeah. <laughs> see how funny I am when I'm depressed and when I'm manic. Yeah. I, I, but then I also find that I've I've started to to de to, what's why de social media rise. That's not a word. Um, I come come off Twitter a bit more um, either in a depression phase or mm. a manic phase. Um, because sometimes I can feed too much into that. And, yeah. But uh, interestingly, I'm, I'm wondering whether people listening to this can tell what phase we're both in right now. Uh, do you know what phase you're in? Right yeah, now? I'm actually at the just a kind of mild depression at the moment. Are you? Yeah, I've just just had a like quite bad manic episode earlier in the year, and now I'm kind of in the crash phase. So mm. um, I've just gone on a new course of medication. So nice. maybe okay. I'm maybe I'm back on my way up. Who yeah. knows? Honestly, couldn't tell you right now. <laughs> it's only kind of maybe retrospectively, or when you hit like a, a certain level for me, like when you, when I hit a 
um, like a, either super, like a euphoric high yeah. or a depressive low. I'm like, oh yeah, no, that has been coming. Yeah, I, I'm fairly confident that I'm on my way up at the moment. Oh, that's good. It's, yeah, <laughs> great. So this week's going to be fun. I've got some shows in a couple of days, so, uh, so <laughs> I will be talking very quickly. <laughs> that's something that I find is, uh, yeah, people are like, you, you're talking way too, way too much. Have you had too much caffeine? I'm like, it's just no, mania. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mum's always like, are you okay? But sometimes I'll just call her and just be just talking nonstop for mm. about an hour. And she's like, okay, Emily, please go <laughs> to the psychiatrist now. <laughs> um, so you also, uh, I want to ask you more about about journalism. But before we do that, um, I'm going to bring up the fun uh, fact about uh, self-harm. You have a history Amazing. of self-harm. I do, yes. Uh, so what's your history of, of self-harm that you're happy to share? Um, so I started self-harming when I was about, must have been about 13 or 14. So I was just cutting myself and it basically continued um for years and years and years 10 years more than that 15 years is that related to your other conditions um yeah I think it must be um I tend to actually I was talking to my psychiatrist about this the other day and he said you know people tend to do it when they're quite depressed um but I actually tend to do it when I'm more in like a kind of mixed state because I have the kind of agitation and the energy to do something and have this feeling this overwhelming feeling of kind of distress that's the only word I can use to describe it just real agitation distress despair Um, and that's when I'm most likely to do it um, rather than when I'm feeling depressed. I've done some um, mental health training in the workplace and uh, the something I found really useful was a phrase of for suicide and self-harm it's when somebody's emotional distress outweighs their resources to cope Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a communication it's an expression but it's also a survival technique yeah um, for self-harm at least um and with suicide it's it's um an actual suicidal action is is it's it's the only it is the only option it in a way it is a survival technique because it's they cannot survive Mm -hmm. with that emotional distress yeah um does that ring true true for you yeah absolutely i think um i've spent a really long time feeling really bad about self-harm and whilst obviously i'm not advocating people self-harm i i think that maybe there should be a kind of more sympathetic um attitude towards it in terms of coping strategies so I think what's been really interesting is talking to friends and stuff about for example drinking so I have have had problems with alcohol in the past and self-harm and they're much more likely to be very concerned about me self-harming rather than me drinking alcohol to excess on my own or whatever yes I mean they're obviously concerned about that too but um, they are more kind of viscerally disturbed by the self-harm and I think actually it's the way that I do it is much safer than when I would drink three bottles of wine. But it's in socially one go. acceptable. To, yeah, um, yeah. This is so. It's it's sort of almost linked in with the, what we were discussing with the um, hallucinations and um, psychosis. Is that I think with self harm and suicidal thoughts, people seem very scared to mm. talk about it, and they they're not happy to just hold it. And it is a scary thing to communicate. But if if you can listen without judgment, um, then it it is more likely that you'll be able to support each other that the person might not act out on those yeah. on those thoughts but it's getting over that that fear within the listener mm-hmm. um yeah people still have very kind of stereotypical views of self-harm i mean i went on a date not that long ago and he said that it was off-putting were his words that i had uh, self-harm scars what? And i was like i was like mm, probably i'm probably not the girl for you then to be honest um, um i i i i'm shocked uh, <laughs> yeah i mean that's that's the story of who you are yeah like, exactly that reminds you of your strength and your resilience yeah and i was just like 
you're 30 years old. How are you still holding this opinion? You know, it was. I was really surprised. It's kind of, you know, when you're so taken aback, you're like, I don't know what to say. Yes, I, I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, uh, yeah, I've had, I've had dates um, where they, they have kind of either directly or indirectly uh, said the mental health thing mental health conditions puts them off mm. are like, oh, you're too you're too um confusing and i'm like well think of all the people out there who are undiagnosed that you're meeting who might not yeah. know that they have a condition and and i've got um lots of loose skin as mm-hmm. well from uh, having been a size 20 and a size 4 due to compulsive overeating and anorexia and uh, i've often thought about having th- that loose skin um cut off mm. but i i never have done because there are moments when there's lots of moments when I'm looking at it and I'm not entirely in love with it. But mm-hmm. there's other moments when I look at it and I'm like, wow, I've 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 been through some stuff. Yeah. Oh, I kind of they're kind of beautiful. Yeah, I was gonna say it's beautiful, I think. It yeah. is. There was yeah, especially when you're on holiday and you've kind of looking at all these other people and it's like actually all of these scars that we've all got, they are they are the map of our of our story. Um and if only we could just slightly change our perspective. Yeah. Um, no addiction as well because you mentioned drinking there um, and for me my self-harm like I when I was younger I I did I pinched myself quite a lot and Mm. I would dig my my um, nails in quite a lot or scratch myself Um, and for a while I used to pick up rocks and kind of scratch myself when I was very young but I think that that all fed into pun intended um my eating disorders because eating disorders are a way of self-harming yeah of course um is that same the same for you with with uh it was alcohol that was the main addiction yeah um i've also had issues with food basically just a smorgasbord of yeah (laughs) another food pun yay yay (laughs) Yay. um yes basically yeah it was um yeah any any substance essentially yeah pretty much anything food self-harm like I've been I've done binge eating and starved myself over exercise drugs drinking self-harm basically tried everything to cope with what was going on really but the positive I mean there must there are positives um I think and for me one of the biggest positives when it comes to self-harm is um you're still here yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you that um, it's it's it people need i would love it if people could uh, get their heads around the fact that self-harm just means that you 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 found a creative way mm. not advocating it at all um but if you if you do it there's no there's no shame in having been through that mm. um and if you if you found better more healthy not better healthier ways to cope with that emotional distress then what an amazing resilient yeah, person you are agreed yeah absolutely so rethink mental illness um who we both know very well we do um we they they are in case you don't know who rethink mental illness is dearest listener uh rethink mental illness is a leading charity provider of mental health services in england uh, they support tens of thousands of people through support groups services and advice and information uh, they also train employees employers and members of the public on how best to support someone affected by mental illness and all of this work guides their campaigning for the rights of people with mental illness and their careers uh, so please do check out rethink mental illness's uh, website um, if you need support uh, for all of your conditions um, or if you're worried about your own or somebody else's mental health uh, go see your GP in the first instance that's Rethink Mental Illness's uh, suggestion uh, but they also do offer advice and information th- and uh, free fact sheets uh, at rethink.org and a helpline uh, and you can call them on 03005000927 no matter how I'm saying that telephone number right. it doesn't sound <laughs> right uh, lines are open Monday to Friday 9.30am 
a.m. to 4 p.m., excluding bank holidays. And you can also email advice at rethink.org. Uh, and if you need 24-7 emotional support, uh, they recommend that you call Samaritans on double one six one two three that's easier to say that one <laughs> much easier uh, or you can email joe at samaritans.org and that's all for the uk and ireland um they have very kindly uh, suggested uh, that um that, that we've given us some information about um, self-harm so they have said self-harm means that you harm yourself on purpose uh, self-harm isn't a mental health problem but it is often linked to mental distress it is common to self-harm in secret and you may do this because you feel as though your thoughts and feelings are not acceptable to other people self-harm can be both distressing for you and your loved ones this is because they may not be able to understand why you're self-harming uh, people self-harm in different ways such as the following cutting burning scolding with hot water banging or scratching your body sticking sharp objects into your body eating or drinking things that are poisonous not letting wounds heal taking too many tablets uh, misusing prescribed or illegal drugs or alcohol over exercising starving yourself um, and other ways as well self-harm is more common in young people with depression and anxiety but it does affect adults without a mental health problem too um, so yes, I mean, even, even feeling that it reminds me that, um, with, when I, when I cook sometimes, because I get very anxious when I'm cooking, um, I sometimes bang into things or, or, uh, or burn myself and I don't think it's on purpose, but mm. it's, it's also, I wonder sometimes whether it's a subconscious way of coping yeah. with the anxiety I think it can manifest in loads of different ways I think, and it took me a really long time. So obviously on that list, there were things like over-exercising, um, mm -hmm. drinking, abusing prescription drugs and things like that um i didn't realize until kind of embarrassingly recently considering how much i think and talk and write about mental health um how those things can be kind of an iteration of self-harm it took me a really long time to realize oh even in maybe re relationships there were things that i was doing that were kind of harming me that were kind of masochistic self-harming kind of behaviors that i hadn't really linked um what sort of things um, I guess things like you would have risky sex or you would have a relationship with someone that was inappropriate or um, who wasn't nice to you, you know, kind of getting involved in abusive situations. I think uh, kind of any kind of self-destructive behaviour, you know, you know someone's not good for you, but, you, you know, you stick with them. I think for some people that can be kind of an iteration of, of self-harm or kind of, you know, self-disgust or... Um, speaking of uh, relationships that are bad for you, um, the media. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> That's me. <laughs> uh, I, I, studied journalism as well, and yeah. I have a background in journalism, uh, as do you. Um, you, you write for the media. Mm -hmm. Has the standard of journalism around mental health improved recently? Um, I think yes and no. So I think there's some amazing journalism going on, and obviously mental health is now a thing that people care about, and so there's a lot more going on around mental health in the media and some of it is absolutely brilliant and completely necessary but I also think there's been a downside in that because it's now kind of we all know that like mental health is now kind of a political football is kind of a topic that people care about now uh, is of the moment um, and so I think as with politicians a lot of newspapers magazines editors etc journalists know that it's a thing that they should be covering but they aren't necessarily prepared to do the work in covering it correctly. So I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's quite damaging. I think there are a lot of people who are also being kind of exploited. I think things that get clicks on digital journalism are often very, very personal stories. And I don't think, I think there needs to be higher standards to protect journalists who have mental health problems um, 
in terms of telling their story because sometimes it's quite young journalists pressured by editors mm. to share very, very personal things that they might not be comfortable sharing to a massive audience with not very much money and with no kind of protections for them whatsoever. Um, and, yeah, basically I think editors need to have higher standards when they're, you know, they shouldn't just be like, we need to write about mental health, so let's just publish anything. Yeah, They need to be more careful with what they're publishing. And how about the language that is used? Because we've still got things like committed suicide, mm, yeah. which um, it's not been a... Um, a, a crime for since, since the 60s or 70s yeah. now so um, do you see it that improving or, or are people still glossing over that I think people are still sort of glossing over it I think there is growing awareness of it but I think that people need to do better and I've worked in all sorts of different places for all sorts of different types of publications and I think um, there needs to, maybe need to be clearer guidelines within each newsroom or each publication as to how they cover mental health and um, what about if people are listening to this and going yeah i've noticed that actually and i want to do something about it what mm. what can what positive things uh can people do if they notice bad journalism uh, surrounding mental health i think speak up about it um in the first instance i guess i would i would email the journalist or the editor or the publication um because i think most people are very willing to listen i think and also i think a lot of times when publications get it wrong it's not because they're not trying they are trying they just don't realize how casually they're using certain language um and i think most people are very willing to and happy to learn um and i guess conversely if if you see something that's really good and wonderful and positive and and uh sensitively done um then sharing it yeah contacting the com uh, the, the the media outlet and saying this is this is wonderful well done yeah and i think contacting the journalist is also especially if it's something that's helped you i think sometimes i get emails from people saying thank you for writing about this niche thing that i thought i was the only person that had ever blah 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 you know and i get emails like that about my book all the time and it's really it makes me feel so good um to know that i've helped people so i think yeah shouting people out on social media or emailing them or whatever i think that's really positive you mentioned your book and yeah. you also have an upcoming book yes uh, so tell us about the new one so it's not actually as directly related to mental health although there obviously is a chapter about mental illness i mean also I'm... reading's very good for your mental well-being yes. so yeah um <laughs> especially books by emily reynolds <laughs> <laughs> available in all good bookshops um so the next book's about the internet and intimacy so it's basically about how the internet's changed intimacy so the bit about mental illness is kind of about communities around recovery um, from addiction and kind of these mental health communities and how, you know, they differ from maybe going to AA or, you know, going to group therapy or things like that. Brilliant. Um, and that, when is that coming out? I don't know yet because I'm still writing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Soon, hopefully. I do that. Yeah. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I, I go way too far ahead. Um, I'm, I'm writing a book at the moment. She says um, she's been. I've been writing writing a book in yeah. inverted commas <laughs> for about five years. Um, I and I am struggling with the whole routine. Um, prioritizing the mm -hmm. writing over um, work that pays yeah. and uh, uh, and shows which are much more immediate things with an immediate deadline. Yeah. How do you cope with writing and managing your mental well being? Um, so I kind of have to have quite a strict routine. Um, so in the past, so I work from home and I work obviously I work for myself, so I have to be very self motivated. And in the past, a few years ago, I would like write from bed on my laptop and you know, which is actually not very good for your mental health. You may be surprised to hear, spending all day in bed. Um, Shocking. Yeah, 
Who knew? I mean, sometimes I have sometimes, to say, sometimes yes. it is lovely, uh, but maybe <laughs> but not, not every day. Not every day. So now I have to. It sounds really silly, but just getting up and uh, actually get dressed. And I have a. I bought an ergonomic chair. Oh, so I know. Love, I love. Uh, firstly, you love that word, ergonomic. Great word. Um, love to be in my late twenties. I was so excited when I bought this ergonomic chair. I was like, who am I? <laughs> where, where do you get an ergonomic chair? From? I got it from John Lewis. Nice. Okay. So good. Okay. It's good quality. Right. Top tip. Yeah. Um, not sponsored by John Lewis um, no but if they did want to send us anything chairs chairs, more chairs. Be, yeah. uh, pillows I want some pillows that would be great yeah, yeah. Um, so I have to have a routine I have to get up I, I get up at the same time every day so like the sleep hygiene thing is really important um, to me because obviously my moods can be very affected by my sleep um, mm. so getting up at the same time sitting at my desk um, and just basically being kind of strict with my routine um, but also I've recently had to learn to be kind to myself also in terms of my schedule. Um, so this year, what, because I was kind of manic, I had loads of energy and I was pushing myself way, 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 way too hard. I was working too much. I was working ridiculous hours. I was taking on too much. I wasn't saying no to anything. Um, and now I actually take weekends and, you know, if I'm really, really, really tired, like I have been quite tired the last few weeks because I'm on some new medication, um, I let myself take the afternoon off um so I think it's uh, for me it's been about learning to balance being strict with myself yeah but also being kind to myself now we we are focusing on the positive mental attitude uh positive things that will help us with our mental health and we're going to come on to uh your positive solutions Mm -hmm. in a second uh but first just a little mention um this episode couldn't happen without the help of our lovely sponsor stagecoach if you've ever been on a date with someone and they've said to you you know who i think doesn't care about mental illness uh the stagecoach group firstly you're on a very boring date and secondly uh, you can now correct them because this sponsorship proves that they do care Uh, so set them straight uh your date and uh, then tell them to stop bringing up transport companies and uh, then also tell them that maybe uh, you're not going to see them again because this was meant to be a romantic night. Um, now, so <laughs> this is the time of the episode where we're going to focus on solutions, uh, the positive aspects of mental health. Uh, firstly, um, what things, Emily, have you found has been the most positive things you've learnt uh, about yourself or about the world thanks to your mental illnesses? Um, I think about this a lot because I sometimes get asked like, if you could you know click your fingers and not have bipolar would you do it and I previously when I was younger was very resentful and kind of depressed for want of a better word about having bipolar and I would have said yes like please give me the magic potion to cure me for bipolar but now I don't think I would um I think I'm quite I've come to terms with it I'm at peace with it and I think it's given me so so many positive things um I mean, I have a career writing about mental illness. And like I said, I get so many emails and messages from people. Um, someone came up to me in a bar the other day and said that she loved my book. And like it meant it means so much to me that I've helped lots of people. Um, and I feel really, really privileged to have a platform to go on things like this and to ha- have written a book about it and to write for you know mainstream newspapers about mental illness and kind of shining a light on things that people aren't aware of. I think that's a real privilege. And I feel really, really lucky that... I get to do that for a living. Um, I also think it's given me um, kind of a really deep understanding of myself and a kind of emotional intelligence that I don't know whether I would have had otherwise. Um, 
obviously, as you know, if you've got a mental illness, you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself, um, mm. um, which can be a negative if you're kind of ruminating. But also, I think it can give you a much better understanding of who you are as a person, which is a massive benefit. And I also think I'm a lot more empathetic. Um, and I think I understand other people and I'm quite kind and forgiving of other people's motivations and, you know, other people's behaviours, which I think is a real gift I think I I completely agree. I I've um some of my friends have said uh that I'm unnecessarily nice. Yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> we should hang out a lot more. Yeah. Uh, we would, yeah, I I don't I don't really see why I wouldn't be uh because you, if you've if you've experienced mental illness then you are forced to understand that a behavior is not who a person is. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody's behaving in a way that uh, might be might seem at first to be unforgivable, it's always for- forgivable because it might, you have no re- no idea what the reasons are behind that behavior, um, and we're all flawed. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think you, that means you necessarily. Which is another thing I've learned recently. You don't have to accept someone's bad treatment of you for any reason. But I think it's a positive to understand why someone might be behaving the way that they're behaving and I think I saw a really nice it was a it was a weird it was a car sticker it said um oh, I would I learned everything <laughs> I need to learn from car stickers wisdom of car stickers it said something <laughs> like to forgive others is to forgive yourself and I really like yeah. that um yeah that the, was really nice there's a buddhist idea of um if you're feeling anger um anger is like holding onto a hot stone uh hot, I'm, I'm paraphrasing badly i'm <laughs> so sorry to the buddha and the dalai lama and all of this all of that lot um but if you're holding onto a hot stone expecting somebody else to be hurt by it yeah absolutely yeah so exactly. want, wanting to throw the hot stone and, and but not um you're only hurting yourself so I mean, but then equally, I've also realised I've written for for Rethink Mental Illness, actually, about anger. And um, I've also realised that it's not about not feeling angry. It's about different ways of expressing it and also using it as a motivational aid to help me spur myself on to do something, to change something for the better. Yeah. now the solution of the episode. Um, we we have a solution of the episode every every episode of the Positive Mental uh, Attitude podcast. Um, obviously, uh, feel free to use this solution while listening to another episode. It won't become ineffective next week <laughs> or anything. I promise. So uh, you can uh, take take on board all of the positive solutions. And um, we asked loads of people out there on Twitter what they found most helpful with their mental illnesses. We've had loads of people say things like hypnotherapy, um, self-help books, self-help groups, reading. Oh, reading. Mm. There we go. I've got some good, excellent books out there. What, what, what are the two that we were going to recommend at the moment, Emily? Um, I would recommend a book called A Beginner's Guide to Losing yeah. Your Mind by oh, Emily Reynolds. Yeah, that, would be my, that would be my tip. I hear there's another one coming out by that amazing author yeah, as well, but we don't know when yet. Um, <laughs> or what the title is. <laughs> what's going on. Uh, but just search for Emily Reynolds uh, and you'll find uh, something at some point. There'll be a second book. Sleep as well. Absolutely. Sleep. Yeah, that's one of my big ones. Is if I haven't, if I have no idea about what else to do to look after my mental health conditions, sleep. Even if I'm in a depressive phase and I'm sleeping too much, mm-hmm. there's very rarely a time that sleep will harm my mental health. Yeah, um, now, I actually learned a really useful thing in AA. Sorry to interrupt you. No, now. no, no. I love, um, I love it. About uh, so this was for when you want to drink and you don't want to drink. Um, but I found it quite useful for everything really like mental health it's, it's halt are you hungry angry lonely, lonely or tired, tired? Yeah, yeah I'm there with you babe yeah <laughs> love it I was like this is so useful why has no one told me this before but it actually is really really useful when you're feeling really 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 bad yeah sort those things out and by the time you've kind of addressed those things sometimes the really really bad feeling has passed anyway so yes 
so I, I I live and live and die by that. I love that um, halt. Uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If you're struggling with your mental health, if you're struggling generally uh, with your well-being, just ask yourself: Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Are you tired? Almost all of the above at all times. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. That's just my. Uh, that's the title of the new book, maybe. Um, and now you. Uh, Gorgeous, wonderful Emily Reynolds said uh, that for your solutions, you included um, learning about your illnesses. So reading up about yeah. that, um, which you can do. Anyone, any of us can do if you have a condition or if you have a friend who has a condition. I'd recommend reading up either on uh, rethink.org or uh, mind.org. Yeah, mind have so, so, so many pages for almost everything. You, and you could pretty much type in any condition yeah. uh, and you'll find something on there that will help you. Um, so you said self-care mm-hmm. so uh, and being open with your friends uh, goal setting and comedy so we're going to yeah. focus on uh, self-care because yeah. I think people have a self-care and comedy we're going to focus on but the self-care people have a very interesting idea of like, sort of namby-pamby yeah. bubble baths and, yeah. oh I'm so I'm being self-care for myself I'm doing self-care I don't know why I spoke it's making me sound yeah. like that voice, but whenever <laughs> I do it I have to speak in that voice um, What what do you mean by self-care? Yeah, so I think there's kind of an idea of self-care that's taken hold, which is kind of, um, I actually think kind of feeds into this individualistic idea of everybody's specifically responsible for themselves and nobody else, which I kind of feeds into my politics, which I won't go into now. And there's also like mm-hmm. a kind of strange, like capitalist iteration of self-care where it's like, yeah, to look after yourself, you have to buy a bubble bath or you have to buy this T-shirt with a slogan on it or you have to buy something. When actually I don't, for me, in terms of my mental illness, it doesn't actually involve any of those things at all. Um, and obviously self-care can Im- include doing something nice for yourself, like having a bubble bath. I love to have a bubble bath. Who doesn't? Um, love a bubble bath. Yeah. But you need a good bath. You do need a good bath. Mine's mm. kind of grotty, but it's better than nothing. I haven't, uh, got, I haven't got a bath at oh, the moment. No. But I have a nice shower. I do like a shower. Yeah, um, that can help. Yeah. Um, but I think for me, it's smaller things. So it is actually something like having a shower when I haven't showered in a week and a half or washing my face brushing my hair, just something really, really, really small that will make me feel a little bit more able to cope. Um, and I also really think it's important that self-care, our, our, con- our concept of self-care includes things that are necessary, boring, unglamorous, maybe even slightly anxiety-inducing. Like opening your mail when you've been putting off opening your mail for six weeks is caring for yourself. Um, things like that. Um, kind of trying to think of something else boring. Like doing your washing up can actually be looking after yourself you yeah. know you need to do those things laundry you need to yeah you need to pay your bills you need to open your mail sometimes you, know, um, you need to make phone appointments go to the doctor things like that those things can feel really insurmountable but doing them is actually caring for yourself yes um and it's not glamorous it's not fun it's not like a bubble bath but um i think those things are really important as well they are um i i get uh, for me i i used to be with my obsessive compulsive disorder things like uh washing um, makeup, um, those 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 things became rigid, mm-hmm. and I used those things to harm myself in a way. Yeah, so I I can't do I can't go out of the house unless I've done all these things, and it, it erred into OCD territory. So sometimes uh, it has been more self caring to be a little bit more relaxed mm. about those things, but to to kind of I've been exploring that kind of that line between when it when is it self-care to be relaxed and when is it self-care to to be a bit more strict with myself yeah um and i think that's that's an ongoing this is one of the things about mental illness is that 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 dialogue with me and my internal world yeah it's a relationship with yourself isn't exactly. it exactly it's going to continue for the rest of my life um i i hope 
<laughs> well, yeah, because sometimes um, getting into bed at four o'clock in the afternoon is looking after yourself, and sometimes you're indulging yourself, you know, and you have to try the best you can to kind of work out at what point you're, you know, sometimes cancelling a plan. Everyone loves to cancel a plan sometimes. Everyone gets the relief when their friend texts them and goes, oh, I can't do tonight. And you're like, oh, no. And inside you're like, yes, yeah. you can watch Netflix now. <laughs> um, but I think it's trying to work out when you're doing it to harm yourself or isolate yourself and when you're doing it because you need space and you need time and you need to be on your own. Um, um, yeah. the, the other thing that you mentioned was uh, was comedy. Yes. So have it laughing. Yes. Not like, necessarily comedy because I'm not a comedian. But some some of us are, but yeah, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it to everybody. <laughs> um, so, but you find that having a sense of humour, yeah, has helped. Yeah, I find it really, really, um, just it makes me feel so much better. Like I have a lot of friends with mental health problems, and being able to laugh at ourselves and being able to laugh at being ill and at trauma and at pain has just been so important to me. Um, and I mean, it's obviously about knowing your audience because I have some friends who I could do a joke about being sectioned to who would find it hilarious. And then sometimes you say it to like a colleague that you don't really know and they're like, are you okay? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's, <laughs> like, there's yeah, jokes. Fine. <laughs> there's jokes I'll make with my, with my very close personal friends about my depression that I will never, ever make on stage. Yeah, of course. Because that's not the right audience. Yeah, people would be like, oh. Are you okay? Dude? Yeah, absolutely. But being able to uh, being able to laugh at, at your own head and yeah, and um, some of the things you do when you're depressed or especially when you're manic are just so ridiculous and so absurd and just so stupid that you have to laugh. Really, it's also so the um the idea that uh, all. For, for comedians, there's there's always a butt of the joke, um, as always uh, the the victim of the joke, and it it the the fine line with mental health conditions is that I am not my condition. Mm -hmm. So if I'm laughing at my condition, that's that's the victim of the joke is the condition. Yeah, and I need to laugh at it because then I have power over it. Absolutely. Um, but I think people misunderstand because, like with all aspects of mental health, not just the laughing at it, um it can be very difficult to not see the, the person as the condition. Yeah. Um, it's why I, f I find things like saying I, I developed anorexia or I have, I have obsessive compulsive disorder, not uh, I am anorexic or mm -hmm. I am OCD. I am not OCD. Yeah. I have OCD. Yeah, someone said to me, oh, I think she's bipolar. Or, and I was like, no, no, no. She has bipolar disorder. Yeah. And also she didn't. Yeah. She was just being me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you're just being a bit of a... <laughs> we were asked we were talking whether we were going to swear in this episode um, I'm going to go nincompoop that's delightful I don't like it no I want to say cockwomble <laughs> uh, I, there I said it I said it cockwomble uh, take it home with you enjoy using that phrase today um, it's an educational uh, podcast as well uh, so positive solutions according to Rethink Mental Illness uh, their stance is when it comes to things that help us with our mental health there is no one size fits all and what works for one person might not for the next uh, what Rethink would say is that uh, trying things out and seeing what works for you is the best way forward thanks Rethink Mental Illness now over to to you dearest listener what solution has helped you the most or if you want to give yourself room to build what solution has helped you the second most there we go give me give me more give me loads give me oh just give me your phone number i don't mind uh tweet i'm single uh tweet us at your solutions at at juliet burton j-u-l-i-e-t-t-e-b-u-r-t-o-n on twitter you can also tweet us at cast positive on twitter as well and we may read it out next time but uh now it's back to emily emily 
You've been such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful guest. I've got so many things I want to chat to you about. Uh, like, just a couple of quick fire questions, okay? okay? Um, do you mind words like crazy or mad harpy or psycho or happy pills? I don't mind them when they're used in an affectionate way by some me or someone else with a mental illness. I do mind them when they're used in a derogatory way. And I don't like it when people use them in the press. What would the world be like if everyone had your conditions? Probably quite chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's do it for a day and just see. Uh, and what do you wish people would ask you about your condition, but they don't? Um, oh, God, that's a really good question. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer. I guess I just would like people to try and understand what both bipolar and a personality disorder is like um, day to day rather than a kind of stereotype. I just wish people would push past the stereotypes of what, what it means. What is one simple thing that anyone can do to help their mental health? Just one thing they can do right now go outside go outside they can take the podcast outside yeah, with you exactly can, yeah put your headphones on and you could also listen to the other episodes of uh, positive mental attitude yeah, podcast well, exactly as well. that's a really good thing to do outside in the sunshine or in the rain in the just take an umbrella if it's in the rain please do you enjoy talking about mental illness i love it oh it's in that my, case this, this, is, my, this is great it's been a great hour then yeah exactly <laughs> it's my dream fab um right facts about emily uh, i've got facts about you oh god um i'm a bit of a stalker uh emily uh, played a part in the passage of seney's law seney's yeah. law seney's law what is seney's law um so basically it was a law to um kind of focusing on um, restraint in mental health units um after a young man died after being restrained i think for 30 minutes um, in South London. Um, so ba it's just passed. So it's basically, um, yeah, to stop people being restrained as much, essentially. And uh, you played a part in it? A very, in... very, very, very small part. Like, you've got a parliamentary bill, like, passed. I That's... didn't. Uh... I mean, in my, in my mind, you, like, stormed into Parliament. Like, and just the like... door swinging yeah. open like a saloon bar. Yeah, and everyone turns around and goes, oh, my goodness, who's this strange, strange woman? I and... mean, I think I probably would have been arrested if I'd done that. But, no, it was a very, very small part. But, yeah. Okay, well, I'm still going to play that story in okay, my head. Do it. Okay, do uh, Emily also writes about the internet, gender, science and tech, as well as mental health. Yes. Um, and in 2017, uh, she published her book, A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind. I think we might have mentioned it maybe a couple maybe of times. Maybe once or twice. Oh, only a couple. Uh, you were recently awarded Diva Magazine's Journalist of the Year I Award. Was. Oh, congratulations. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm sure that more awards will come after this uh, appearance on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you want any further information, or you just love following instructions, uh, then follow this instruction and go to rethink mental illness at www.rethink.org uh, and if they want if you want to find out more about uh, Emily Reynolds where can they go Emily um, probably my Twitter is the best place it's uh, obviously twitter.com forward slash uh, R-E-Y underscore Z Ray Z I like, I like that you spelt that out for. yeah it's yeah. just because people are always like is that with an A what's going on yeah. it's just easier um, and if you'd like to follow me I'm on Instagram uh, Juliet underscore Burton uh, Facebook uh, Juliet Burton writer performer and I'm on Twitter Juliet Burton uh, and this is uh, this lovely podcast has a, has a Twitter handle at cast positive now my favourite section is called positive thing uh, where I tell you something positive I've learned I tried to think of something better like a better title I just I, I, I just decided that why why try to reinvent why bother? the wheel why, bo why bother basically it's a thing it's positive let's call it positive yeah. thing uh, we thought about listing negative things that we'd found but then we also realised that's just the news yeah <laughs> so let's not bother with that uh, so I, my positive thing today is I, I'm very excited by this one 
because I've I've got a friend who's very into trains. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not I'm not saying it's genuinely a friend of mine who's very <laughs> into trains. I've got a couple of friends very into trains. Actually, I've got three or four. Friends. Anyway, did you know that a six year old applied for a job at a railroad museum and was hired as its director of fun? Oh, that's brilliant. That's very sweet. It? I love that. Um, and did you also know that the actor who is the voice for Winnie the Pooh calls up children in cancer wards to cheer them up? Oh. That's also nice. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. You've been wonderful. Absolutely love you. Thank you very much to Rethink Mental Illness and uh, to our lovely guest, Emily Reynolds. If you'd like to listen to all the other positive mental attitude podcasts, please do. I would love you to. Uh, I've put a lot of work into all of these and um, it would be very nice if you could uh, share them, review them, uh, tell people about them because the more you do that, the more listens we get, the more likely it is we can make more. Um, And if there's any sponsors listening, please do get in touch. We'd love to make more of these as well. Thank you so much uh, to my lovely guest Emily uh, and to you for listening dearest one so until uh, the next positive mental attitude podcast do stay positive